Hey, you found us. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast. I'm Ben Glickson with my tag team partner, Matt Story, and it's ranked opponent week yet again for the Sun Devils as they take on yeah. the Washington Huskies on the road. The Huskies ranked 10th in the country are 2-1. and one. Their only loss on the year came week one at a quote-unquote neutral site in the south against Auburn where they fell 21-16. They then pounded North Dakota and their defense has put on a clinic the last two weeks allowing three points to North Dakota, seven points on the road at Utah in a 21-7 victory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Outside of really the first quarter against Auburn, they've looked pretty darn good defensively. I mean, Auburn got going on them and I think scored on their first two or three drives, only one touchdown. But, um, you know, since since then, they've done a pretty good job. And, and yeah, they, they made a pretty good statement last week at Utah, winning a, a you know, a tough road game against a good team. Um, you know, so, yeah, they they uh, they look like the team they're supposed to be so far. And that is, a, you know, kind of a borderline, I think, top 10 caliber team that maybe could climb higher than that. But we'll see. For the ASU defense, they'll be dealing with veteran quarterback Jake Browning, who has uh, 764 yards passing and four touchdowns on the year, though he does have four picks already. He's been a little careless with the football through three weeks. Yeah. Um, In the running game, Miles Gaskin, who another guy who we've seen before, has uh, already 62 carries on the season through three weeks. Uh, outpacing Eno Benjamin by a three to two margin on touches at this point from the back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not surprising given our relative lack of success running the ball. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I would I would expect um, they're going to have certainly looked and seen what San Diego State did last week, and you know expect to see a steady diet of running the ball. Um, I don't know if you read it. I I, I saw it was in a wasn't a Haller article it was a different article on the athletic um I think the one about the west coast football that they do every week and um the lady who wrote it spoke with the San Diego State offensive coordinator who said kind of what we talked about which is you know UTSA and and obviously for for clear reasons there but Michigan State got away from running the ball gave up on it and and uh San Diego State didn't, and, and they, they did a number on us as the game wore along. So that's something we're going to have to adjust to. First five carries, they held Juwan Washington to five yards. The problem was yeah. he kept carrying the ball and wound up with right. over 100. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was that was the point that was made in that is that, hey, you know, yeah, yes, you did a pretty good job stopping the run against Michigan State. They didn't stick with it, though. You know, when they ran it, we, we did a good job stopping it. They got away from it, and you look back, and, and honestly, I mean, if you're a Michigan State fan, I think you you have to kind of kick yourself there. You know, certainly coaches and whatnot, they they had the lead. I mean, it's not like they were coming from behind. They, you know, the, the only time we led in the entire game was with you know zero seconds on the clock. Uh, they led the majority of it, and they they got away from it. And I think you know, yeah, you, you it showed. Now, granted, San Diego State knew exactly how to attack this defense because they go up against it all the time, and that probably played into things as well. But, uh, yeah, it showed that patience paid off for them. They just stuck to it, and and in the second half, we had no answers. One point I heard, which I thought was interesting, was not only did they know how to attack it because they had seen it before, but that their scouting, their advanced scouting of the game, may have shown what packages – hadn't been installed yet because they know Gonzalez's defense so sure, well sure. that they knew, yeah. hey, we're not subbing into 
this formation or we're not comfortable yet bringing in a fourth defensive lineman or a fourth linebacker on plays. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't heard that, but it does make sense, obviously. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, obviously we talked about, we hoped that, uh, you know, Gonzalez familiarity with them would, would be a benefit. I think it actually worked the opposite way when you look at it. Um, and when it comes, you know, running the ball, can, I mean, when, when you can do it, it's, it's, uh, very validating, and when you can't stop it, it's demoralizing. And that was what happened in the second half of that game. I mean, as as fans, we were demoralized as the second half wore along when we couldn't stop the run. And I think you saw that happen with the with the you know defense as well as the game went along. And and it's not going to change this week. I mean, this is a team that is going to want to attack us in a very similar way. They're going to play really good defense, and they're going to want to run the ball and and. Uh, so we'll see how much adjustment we can make in, in seven days against a team that does similar things but with better players It's it's and a, and a more hostile environment. That's not altogether a package that seems that appealing for us this week. The other thing as far as uh, having to face down a disciplined opponent, because San Diego State was yeah. disciplined. There were not a lot of penalties. Yeah. There were not a lot of issues. True. Washington has a lot of veteran players. Right. Um, Obviously, Browning's still there from the team that went to the uh, final playoff. Playoff, yeah. But, you know, a lot of sophomores, juniors, and seniors on this roster. Sure. And they're at home. The defense, I thought, did travel well. Look, it's hard to give up running and and all of those things, and it's a ball control team. So I I guess, you know, the most depressing was when they needed to go fast, they were able to go fast. Um, True, true. But there is a general feeling that the defense was a problem last week that I've seen in the media and, and on Twitter with fans. And I, I think that really, if we're going to look ourselves in the mirror, the, the problem's the offense. Because 28 points against sure. San Diego State, including, uh, yeah. you know, basically a field goal for, you know, the entire third quarter, it, they, we could have put the hammer down and run away. Bad. You know. I agree. No, I mean, you know, when, whenever you lose, there's blame to go around. Um, and whenever you win, there's, there's, you know, we don't talk about, you know, the negatives probably because, you know, you get euphoric about it. And I think the Michigan State game was probably an example of that. Like, we won and, and you know, we put together a couple drives, you know, late in the game when we needed it. And that's great. But, you know, you look now and you look at an offense that struggled to get much going in that game and struggled to get much going in the San Diego State game, especially in the second half. Um, and that's concerning and, and not likely to get better this week. I mean, this is this is very likely the best defense we will see all year and, and on the road uh, where your offense is never quite as sharp. You never have the same rhythm, you know, and it just, you know, it's tougher to communicate, tougher to be as fast off the ball, all those things. Uh, and, and so, you know, yeah, I think that's, that's the primary area of concern. Was it a, was it a great defensive performance last week? It, it wasn't. I mean, giving up 300-plus yards rushing is never good. We gave up a, a drive there at the end of the half, which, you know, was kind of a, a game-turner, as we talked about. Um, but, yeah, it was it was good enough if the offense had done its part, and they didn't. And, and um, that's going to be the requirement again this week, and I don't feel great about it. Washington right now is allowing 10 points per game. They are holding teams to under 315 yards of total offense. Mm-hmm. And they are favored by 17.5 points. Yeah. 
as we record. I don't think any of those, plus being on the road, is a recipe for success. I, I'm worried about. <laughs> I, I'm worried about the fact that you know reports out of practice this week are that we are shuffling the offensive line to try to get the running game going. Yeah, um, yeah, and, yeah. And there's nothing quite like taking a reconfigured offensive line out and testing them in a hostile environment against a top right. ten team. Right, right. I mean, these are the things you want to get, and I, and I get it. I mean, it happens, but you want to get these things ironed out in August. Um, you know, that's that's what you want that month of fall practice to be for. And obviously, obviously, we came into the season not feeling comfortable with the starting five because we've seen, you know, in-game shuffling. Um, and, and now we're seeing, you know, week-to-week shuffling different lineups. I think we've started a different five all three games. And looks like we might have, a, you know, at least the same combination in the same spots. We haven't done one game to the next yet because, you know, Miller was out for the week two, I know. Um, and then we started a different group last week than we started in week one, and now we might be doing it again. Uh, so that's not ideal. I mean, and yeah, we, you know, you you pointed it out. I remember in our preseason talk, and I didn't disagree with you at all that you know we had kind of taken for granted in some ways that having so much returning experience, whether with us or with other schools in the Pac-12 on the offensive line, was going to make it a strength, and we didn't know that it would be. And so far, it hasn't been. And that's a big reason why I think the offense is struggling. And admittedly, we've played some pretty good defenses. I mean, Michigan State's got a good defense. So does San Diego State. And Washington's going to be really good, too. So, you know, we will see as the year unfolds when we start to play some defenses that aren't as good if we can start to look better because of that. Before we get into your actual pick, do you think we cover a 17.5-point spread? That'd be, you know, something in the neighborhood of thirty-four seventeen would cover. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's. I didn't know that was the spread, and it's funny because that's very very close to kind of the score line I was thinking. Um, I wouldn't bet on it. Let's say that. Um, you know, could we? Yeah, but my my you know my thought on final score was somewhere in the area, and I'll, I'll you know just because it's an easy transition. I was going to say 28-10, which, which puts me at 18. And I, and I see it being that type of game. I just I don't think we're going to be able to score much. I don't think they're going to score 40-plus. That's just kind of not what they do. But they're going to play it a lot like San Diego State, run the ball and have some long drives, and we're not going to be able to sustain enough offensively. So, yeah, I, I didn't know that was the spread, but I got my number pretty darn close to that, I guess. I think that the game's going to be a little bit uglier than you've laid out i I think it's going to be 34 10 washington yeah okay um this is one of those ones where i think that i might comfortably be able to go to bed at halftime and just listen to healing on the radio (laughs) it might be yeah yeah i mean uh you know i don't know i I look i I hope i'm wrong we we beat him last year obviously at home um you know different different dynamic there but i don't think you or i picked us to win that game last year if we could go back and listen I, I doubt either one of us had us winning um, but at home it does give us a little bit of a sense of confidence seems like this taken this team the last couple of years has taken on that feel of like well if we're at home we can beat anybody but on the road not so much and last year was a little better on the road than it was the year before which was disastrous um, and you know this this team's road success or lack thereof is obviously yet to be determined we've only played one game but it's hard to foresee this one uh 
you know, really having a chance to win in the fourth quarter. But I hope I'm wrong. If we if we've got that, if it's you know, turning from third to fourth quarter and we're within a touchdown or we're ahead, uh, you know, I'll be pleasantly surprised and maybe we can pull off the upset. Who knows? Well, let's flip it around. Let's talk about how we could win the game. Washington's not a team, in theory, that usually runs up the score. No. So you you catch a break. You know, Browning, like I said, could be sloppy with the ball. Mm-hmm. You, know, you yeah, actually man. catch it uh, as opposed to Herm's mocking of uh, Jalen Harvey saying he had great hands as a receiver and now he can't catch the ball. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which I don't specifically recall an easy interception that Harvey dropped. No, I don't. But I don't. I don't think he has had one. But yeah, you know, hey, maybe there's maybe there's something we're forgetting. I don't know, but I don't recall that either. But uh, you know, if he gets sloppy with the ball, if a play gets made on defense um, or special team, you know, special teams, good punt that leads to a bad sure. snap and a safety or something. Uh, I, I'm not expecting big things out of the return game. <laughs> no. No, I would say not. It hasn't been a, a positive for us at all this year. Uh, you know, kick or punt return. Um, and the kick return last week, bringing it out like we talked about, was, was a dumb move. And you know, started a drive on a bad note. And, and punt returns have not been good. Fielding the ball too deep and not fielding the ball when you should. And yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a game. It's a game that reminds me a bit, although differently, in the sense of. You know, like you said, they're not a team that really, you know, scores a ton of points. But it reminds you a bit of those old games that we would play against Oregon, where you felt like this team is better than us. Can we pull off the upset? Sure. You know, but, but it, it, you know, a lot of, we have to play a near perfect game and we can't have mistakes. We can't have turnovers. We can't have, you know, penalties that, that'll, you know, cost us first downs or allow them first downs. Um, and we might need a you know a lucky break or two, like you said, you know a, a you know a safety uh, that you know a high snap on a punt that gives us two points or sets us up inside the five or you know things like that that you know spell an upset um, because they're going to be the better team. I mean, this is this is the team that's been uh, you know pretty much the class of the conference the last two to three years. I think you'd say that they didn't win the conference last year, but they they were ten wins, and the year before they did win the conference and. They got a good thing going, and, and we're trying to build a good thing, but they're they're definitely ahead of us right now. Yeah, I, I obviously neither of us picked the win, so no. it, it's no unlikely. I think but I would say yeah, yeah. I don't. I mean, I didn't feel great about this before the season, um, and I still don't. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think I think both of us uh, when we did our preseason picks said this was the game that seemed the least likely to pull off a win because it was probably the best team we were playing, at least what we thought. And I, so far, I haven't seen anything to change that. Maybe Stanford. We'll see. But we get Stanford at home. We, we had to go to Washington. And so you you looked at that and thought, yeah, it just didn't, it didn't seem like one to really count on. And it still doesn't, uh, especially after what I saw last Saturday night from us and from Washington. That was a big response from them i wondered how they would do would they you know would they be defeated after that auburn game would they go through the motions could they get upset and they didn't they they handled their business like a you know conference championship type of team should do right now i think you'd have to say that the north is far outpacing the south in terms of performance (laughs) but yes i would agree so as we look ahead, do you think 
that this game will give you anything as a as a fan that you can take away moving forward. If we if we lose by seventeen or mm-hmm. twenty one, mm-hmm. is it devastating or is it like ho hum? No. We still have a shot at the South. Sure, I don't think so. I mean, I think the South is very likely to be won by a team with three losses, uh, maybe even four in a tiebreaker scenario. Um, and and so, you know, you hate to start 0-1, which, you know, it's our first conference game, so if we lose it, we start 0-1. But, yeah, it, it can be done. Now, there's look, there's still some tough ones ahead. I mean, none may be as daunting as this, but we still got to go to Oregon. We still got to go to Colorado. We have Stanford coming here. Um, that, you know, those none of those look easy. We got a trip to USC. They haven't looked great, but that's a month from now. They could look better by then. Um, so there's there's tough ones ahead, and then you know even some of the games I didn't mention are not not gimmies. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't think so. I mean, I think you know if we get run off the field and we're beat by you know five or six touchdowns, then it will probably be a humbling one to think, well, boy, this team it does not. But but you know what, we've seen it. I mean, we, we've, we've seen it. The year we won the South, we went in in September, I believe, we went to Stanford and got totally outclassed. And the end of that night, I don't think either one of us would have thought, well, this team's going to come back, win the South, and get to the Pac-12 title game. But we did. And so, no, I don't think there's going to be maybe much to take out of this one, barring injury or something that, you know, affects you going long-term. Probably the... the unquestioned marquee matchup of the weekend for the conference is Stanford traveling to Oregon. Mm-hmm. Both teams are 3-0. and Both teams are ranked in the top 20. Um, you know, I think that'll be probably the best game, although Friday night's tilt between Washington yeah. State and USC could be kind of fun. Will be interesting, yeah. Yeah, I mean, both, both games are, uh, you know, kind of litmus tests, I guess, now because, you, you know, you look at Stanford hasn't left home yet. And now they do. Oregon hasn't played a team of, of any merit yet. Now they do. Um, and so, you know, how will each team respond to a bit of a different scene than what they faced the first three weeks? And then, yeah, Washington State, you know, is, is 3-0 and but hasn't played anybody yet. USC is 1-2, and but has lost to two, you know, two good teams on the road. So, you know, yeah, it'll, it'll be a kind of a measuring stick game for all four of those teams to see, you know, okay, now the, the circumstances change a bit and how do they, how do they all four show up? Yeah. I, you know, I think that the worst game will probably be Arizona, Oregon state. Uh, probably, probably. Yeah. It, it yeah. got the coveted um, 3 PM central time, <laughs> one o'clock Pacific pac 12 network. Pac 12 network. Yeah. 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 No, that's uh since there's going to be a lot of Oregon State games on in that window this year, I, I think uh, Oregon State is probably going to be the official team of the Pac-12 Network this year. Yeah, well, and we we know we've got them the next week on Pac-12 Network already. I was going to say, and, and rightly so, we we will be joining them for that. Uh, yes, yes, and that uh, didn't come as any surprise to either one of us. We talked about it last Sunday when you know before the games were announced um, that as soon as ASU lost and. Oregon State, you know, it has just been Oregon State for a while now, the last two or three years. That game screams Pac-12 Network, and sure enough, it is. And uh, late-night Pac-12 Network, because it's in Arizona, obviously. Yeah. If it's in Oregon, they'll get the first game, and if it's in exactly, anywhere yeah. else, they yeah. might be the last Last game. year, I believe we played them up there in that, uh, you know, 
one o'clock Pacific time time slot. If I don't, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere right around there. It was a it was a late afternoon kick, from what I remember. Looking around the rest of the nation, the only top twenty five matchup besides Stanford, Oregon, is Alabama A and M. Yeah. Um, you know, Nick Saban came out today and said that if his players read their press clippings, they wouldn't be able to beat anyone. I, I, I give him the benefit of the doubt on a lot of things. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means either. No, no, I, I it's a top 25 matchup to me in, in uh, number only. I don't really think Texas A&M is a top 25 team. Maybe they are. Um, I think, you know, yeah, they played Clemson tough, but that was at home. And as we just realized, you know, Taking the game on the road is a whole lot different story, and and playing a team that is as overwhelming as this Alabama team looks is an even bigger, different story. Uh, I don't expect that to be close. Alabama is favored by twenty six points. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would uh, not be surprised if it's around there or or bigger. Um, I mean, they, uh, you know, they were down seven nothing to Ole Miss. Uh, Ole Miss can say that, and and then it didn't stay that way. Uh, uh, so yeah, they they just look overwhelming right now. Uh, they look like they you know they've always been that way for the last decade, and now they've got a big time quarterback too, um, which is something they haven't had. And you know, great receivers. I mean, you know, they've had Julio Jones and Amari Cooper, and now they they have maybe three guys that are you know that caliber of player. Uh, you know, they just they look. They look overwhelming. I've, I've said it, you know, a couple times already in this discussion. And I keep keep saying it. We'll see if that changes, but right now, I, I don't know who beats them. You mentioned Ole Miss getting up that touchdown early. They ran a uh, a well designed play that led to yeah. a go route where the guy just broke free in a coverage yeah. breakdown. And they got great receivers. I mean, you know, they got talent there, obviously. But yeah, it was it was for one play only, basically. My question for you is. Have you noticed that the the storyline theme this season for football appears to be the importance of the scripted plays and how teams nail the scripted plays and then are completely lost on the it's interesting? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know that's been a uh, discussion surrounding Notre Dame so far this year. The Bears uh, because, too. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, Notre Dame has come out on their first. I think has scored on their first two drives of all three games. Um, the first first two games they scored a touchdown. Last week, I know I think they opened with a field goal and then got a touchdown on their second drives, um, and then has kind of struggled as the game has gone along to keep that going. And yeah, I mean it's it's an interesting point. I I think it's something. And I was I was talking about this with someone else, and I don't know if you and I have discussed it much, but it, you know sometimes you see a lack of like situational awareness sometimes in football. Now it seems like more so, and I do wonder if part of that is that everything is scripted now. I mean, you see these college offenses and they're not really taught to think for themselves too much outside of a few teams like a Stanford where you see the quarterback make a lot of adjustments and you don't see that a lot. Everybody kind of gets over the ball and looks to the sideline and they signal in the play. And then when you have to have some situational awareness and figure it out without your coaches, you know, being there to, to you know, hand it to you, a lot of times teams don't respond well to that. Now, that's a generalization. I'll admit it. But I, I do see some elements of that, I think. I think your analysis of the college game is right on, which is if teams don't run a pro style, um, you know, they don't adjust for anything because you everyone runs a hurry up. 
all the time and a spread. And you don't have to, as the quarterback, you know, even it doesn't even get to anything more complicated than on a zone read or a run pass option. Do you count the number of guys in the box? (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's something that you've heard from NFL coaches over the last few years and more and louder and louder every year, it seems like, where, you know, these coaches are saying, these guys are, you know, offensive linemen and quarterbacks especially are not prepared to play in the NFL because in college they're, they're not being asked to do that. They're not being asked to run any type, any type of complex schemes. And you get these guys, I mean, how many times in the last few years, remember how it used to be that if you took an offensive lineman top 10, that was your safe pick? Not that way anymore. I mean, 20, 2013 draft, I think four offensive linemen went in the top 10. Two of them are out of the league already. Another one is, is a backup, um, you know, for the Eagles, but not a starter. Uh, the only one who's a starter is Eric Fisher, and he hasn't been as good as he was supposed to be. So, you know, it's like, man, you know, you look at this and it's like the, the, the line play is really a struggle lately. Um, and quarterbacks the same way. Yes, rookie quarterbacks are doing well, but that's because we're babying them. They're not getting full offenses in it because they're not ready for it. They're getting, I mean, look at Robert Griffin, who's a great example. His rookie year, he had success because they spoon-fed him little things. And then as time went on, and yes, he got injured, but, you know, he also really wasn't ready for the complexity of the NFL. It's interesting because it's created a lot more work for coordinators of young quarterbacks because there's no more full install i mean I, right. it, it almost goes back to the point about the asu defense that i heard about yeah you know yeah. when danny gonzalez came in he's you know he said that you know we run the three three five, but we, the game will dictate if we need an extra sure. linebacker or we need an extra whatever and it's like sure it that's just simply not the case right now hasn't been the case you know. no no yeah yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's tricky, and I think, you know, you hear it a lot in the NFL, especially the limitations on practice time and off-season work, you know, which didn't used to be there, now it is. So you combine the limitations on, on you know, work that players can do with the fact they're coming from college schemes that are simplistic, basically, in order to, to you know, to win. I mean, look, it works. College coaches' job is not to prepare players for the NFL. It's to win college games. And, and if you can have a simplistic offense that works and you can move the ball and score, you know, 40 plus points, that's your job. But you're not necessarily preparing guys for the for the NFL. And then they don't have the time in the NFL to learn and study the way they used to just because of the CBA. So it's it's an interesting dynamic. I, I don't know if anybody's wrong necessarily, but it just it's kind of a an interesting, you know, two headed monster there that's creating some difficulty. Yeah. Do what do you think the next version of the CBA? I, I think it's going to be less and less, not more and more. Probably, probably, it, it, yeah, it, yeah. I mean, I I think that's an easy thing. I mean, you know, it's always you always look at who's in the room negotiating this. Well, coaches are not in the room, and that, I mean that was the point made coming out of the last lockout with all the changes. It's like, you know, coaches are the one side that's really not represented. Players and owners are well. Owners are not really as concerned with off-season practice time. And why? Because all off-season practice time doesn't put money in their pocket. Games do. It, it just costs and, them money. Right, right, yeah. You know, I mean, games and, and, you know, games equal revenue. And so, you know, could you see a situation where, you know, the owners get the 18 games they want and, and the players say, okay, with that, you're going you're gonna to limit our off-season even more? 
yeah, I think you could. I don't know if you will, but it's it's not crazy to see that that might be. Well, hey, yeah, we'll do that. Give us two more regular season games, and we'll you know we'll shorten the off season by two more weeks. Try to keep you guys healthier in the off season. Yeah, you'll take that in a heartbeat. Yeah, tell you know basically we're not playing preseason games anyway. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It'll be interesting. Obviously, it's what three more years of this deal. Um, so you know we're we're coming up on the point of. Of, you know, we'll be figuring that out here soon. But, uh, um, I, yeah, I, I certainly think you could see that because really the side that is most frustrated by those regulations is is the coaching side. And they're not represented in these discussions, uh, you know, and so they're the, they're the ones that are like, yeah, figure it out. You know, we pay you a lot of money, figure it out. Uh, the last thing I had was getting back to ASU, there was a feature story on Merlin Robertson after uh, the Michigan State game, but we didn't really mm-hmm. talk about it in depth. One of the things, because I went back and reread it, that, that struck me was in addition to the fact that he's a father and you know his kid's one and a half already and he, right. it's kind of grounded him, is his high school coach was talking about him moving around because he was so good in high school teams would scheme for him that the coach basically said, you have to learn all the linebacker positions because I'm going to move you around. Right, right. And that, you know, sort of almost a counterpoint to guys being spoon-fed things in small pieces. Yeah. Yeah. The story went on to mention that, you know, even as a true freshman, Robertson's the one who's basically telling people where to line up and setting mm-hmm. all of the defensive tweaks and adjustments because he knows where everyone's supposed to be. Right. And that's the way he was trained since high school. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, and, and it is it does run contrary to what we were just talking about. And you know, I guess I guess it's that, and it's also the fact that this is a brand new defense. So even if even you know fifth year seniors that we've got don't have any experience, they don't have any more experience than he does. Um, so it is a situation where you can have a freshman kind of emerge as a as a vocal leader and a guy you know because everybody's kind of starting at the same place. Um, with you know learning this defense and and so it, it's good to see. I mean he's he's definitely a bright spot so far and and not the only one. I mean you know not everything is lost because we lost to San Diego State. Um, and yeah, I, I like what I see from him and and uh, you know we need we need more guys like him. You know that's that's the whole point of this coaching change and all this emphasis on better recruiting is to get more players like him so that he doesn't really stand out. But that there's you know six or seven of them every year like him. Yeah, the, the freshmen uh, that Herm and Antonio Pierce brought in, uh, Robertson, yeah. Butler has been a beast. Yeah. You know, um, and then the, the transfers who not all of them are his responsibility, obviously, but having a guy like Darius Slade who right. obviously missed the San Diego State game but just looks like a football player. Yeah, he does. He does, definitely, yeah. Yeah, now I – you know, give give credit to uh, you know Todd Graham and that staff because they brought him in, and you know a lot of a lot of the guys obviously on this roster are Todd Graham's guys or, or guys that his staff recruited, some of which are still here. So there's some there's some overlap there. I mean, you know, we didn't have a complete house cleaning of coaches, but uh, yeah, there's there's definitely some impact guys. You expect you know you expect more. I mean, that a freshman class you don't expect all you know twenty to to be, you know, impact players right away. What you want is, you know, you hope for maybe three or four as freshmen and then another, you know, three to five emerge as sophomores and maybe another three to five emerge in their junior year or redshirt sophomore year. All in all, that's a pretty darn good class if you get that. 
Um, this one's off to a, a solid start, but obviously we'll see where it goes. Yeah, it's uh, it's been impressive, um, and what what Pierce has done, and and the commitment really to recruiting yeah. California has been very yeah. impressive. And, and you know, you know, it goes. Yeah. I, some of this to me goes to one of my favorite Matt Story statements, which is. To be big time, you have to look big time and, and act big time, and then you'll become big time. Yeah. And hiring the social media people and the graphics yeah. people and putting an emphasis on all of the things that to old school football fans right. are, you know, seems like a waste. You know, does it matter that we have 72 jersey combinations? Right. I, don't, I, don't, I personally don't it care. I'm fine with me, maroon, but- gold, and white. But sure, sure. You know, I, I'm with you. No, I mean, it's it's stuff that I, I mean, we're not old, but I'm more of the old school fan mentality. To me, what matters is is what you do on the field. Um, you know what your stadium looks like. I guess that, you know, certainly matters. But, you know, the social media stuff, the jerseys doesn't make a difference to me, but it does make a difference. We may not like it. We may roll our eyes at it. And think, you know, why do 18-year-old kids care about this stuff? But the fact is, they do. And and these are the kids you've got to get. And trying to trying to change them isn't going to work. This is the society we've got. This is the way kids are now. And and so, yeah, I mean, it's it's you have to keep up with the Joneses. And don't think that Clemson doesn't have stuff like this. And Alabama and Ohio State and, you know, the, the big boys of college football have this. And and you have to keep up with them if you're going to try to compete with them, you know, for recruits and then on the field in games if you get a chance to play teams like that. Yeah, I mean, the new facilities, the focus on the on the social media, yeah. the you know, for lack of a better way to describe it, uh, the national notice that Herm brought. Right. Yeah. It, it's all positive, it can't hurt. you know. It can't hurt. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're right. The, there, there was a lot of attention, and we talked about it throughout the off season on Herm Edwards. And I think a lot of it because people were waiting to to strike on the negativity. I read, I can't remember who I read this week. It might have been Pat Forty. Somebody was, you know, talked about new coaches and and basically made the point that yeah, they lost to San Diego State, but I, I can't remember exactly how how he worded it. But it was, you know, things haven't fallen apart horribly like people thought. And that was what people thought. I think people thought three games into the year, you know, this team wouldn't know which direction to, to go on offense and, you know, would be putting seven guys out there on defense at a time and it would just be a comedy of errors. And that hasn't been the case. We've, we've looked like a competent football program. Um, and so, you know, that attention, even though the initial reason for it wasn't great, hopefully it's something we can use to our advantage since eyes were on us and, and we're surprising people with the fact that we don't look inept. Yeah, if everyone's looking for the train wreck and the train wreck doesn't yeah. happen, do people right. continue to watch the train? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if yeah, I mean that's a great way to put it. If the you know if the train's humming down the tracks, then you know yeah, people say, boy, that that train's moving well. Uh, I want to get on that. And as Herman said, there's plenty of time to get on the train, plenty of room. Um, so yeah, I mean it, you know like that's that's what you hope for, obviously. And uh, we got a long ways to go before the final verdict is in on, on the Herm Edwards hire. A long, long ways to go. And maybe even years after he gets let go or, or goes himself. I mean, this is this is not supposed to be uh, 
a long-term project, but at the same time, Ray Anderson's vision is we're going to be a, a power year in and year out. Well, you can't prove that in one year, nor can you prove it in two or three years. Like it, this Herm Edwards hire is probably meant to lead to the next hire, somebody to succeed him. Maybe it's Danny Gonzalez. Maybe it's you know someone else. Maybe it's Antonio Pierce. I don't know. Um, Bobby Hurley. And, and so, yeah, who knows? <laughs> I mean, you know. The, the 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 verdict is is a long ways from being in. I mean, to use the you know the parlance that you're more familiar with, we're just getting the opening statements right now. I mean, the, the you know there's a lot of there's a lot of a lot of things to still be done. Figure out if this is a success, but early on, it it hasn't been an abject failure, which I think a lot of people were expecting. I think that's fair. Uh, we'll be back to talk about that game and all the other stuff that happened in the world of sports. Until next time, he's Matt, I'm Ben. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast.